Hello, I'm Ricky. And I'm Joe. And this is Season 4, Episode 15 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast. This is slated to come out on 10-25-2021, and that's the closest to Halloween that we're going to get. So this is the Halloween episode, um, just in case anybody was curious. We were planning to drink the 2020 pumpkin mead on Halloween, but I got a little greedy, and I drank all the pumpkin mead ahead of time. Not on purpose, um, but because I thought that my first coffee mail and my banana banana wine were at some point in time, you know, not at the same time, but at different mm-hmm. points in time when I checked, the same pumpkin mead. Um, ah. Yeah, so that's unfortunate, uh, but we do have more pumpkin mead in the works, and we're going to talk about that, and we talked about it last episode, we're going to talk about it this episode, but this episode for our brew, we are going to drink the Java Lantern Coffee Cream Stout. Um, I, it's a Hall River... Uh, beer and Ricky's already a little into it, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about it before we uh, go deep into it. 7% ABV. Um, it is supposed to be a milk stout brewed with fresh pumpkin, lactose, almond spice, autumn spices, and fresh roasted coffee beans. What would almond spices even be? Um, <laughs> so it says Hall River Farm Farmhouse Ales, Think Global, Live Local, Drink Southern. Um, and I believe, yeah, this is a local North Carolina uh, in the Durham area. Okay. They're even using Joe Van Gogh, uh, which is a local coffee Mm -hmm. shop, coffee. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's mild, but not in a bad way. I mean, it kind of tastes like maybe like a really light coffee. Have you ever had like espresso powder? Yeah. It tastes like like oat milk with some espresso powder in it, um, in terms of like the the secondary flavors. It's got obviously it's primary. It's a dark beer. It's got that rich malt and things like that. But uh, a lot of nice like kind of I don't want to say woody because it's not wood, but it, uh, what do you call that? The the tough grains, the oats and the things like that. It's got um, a little bit of oat. Hardy hardy grains. Yeah, so like- it's got some hardy grains and yeah, a pretty good coffee flavor. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, it's it, the the pumpkin flavor is there, which I would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more like the kind of because pumpkins like very mild. Like aside from what you get from like a pumpkin spice latte or something like that, where that's a very forward, mostly cinnamon, nutmeg, and clove mm. kind of flavors that you get out of that, and it's a vanilla. This has all of that in the appropriate proportion if it was actually like part of like a pumpkin mm-hmm. without like a bunch of extra sugar in it. Yeah. Um, so I like this a lot. Yeah. It's a really good <laughs> like sipping beer. Yeah, it is. It's it, it and it doesn't feel heavy like most stouts mm-hmm. do. Yeah. So I'm kind of kind of digging it i'm glad i got a four pack instead of just getting one yeah it's really light i mean it'd be great for maybe not today where it's still 80 degrees outside when you start hitting those days the evenings are like 60s you sit out here on your patio drink one of these you know around like six o'clock after dinner when the sun's starting to go down yeah 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 i mean it kind of makes me want to try to make something that's like Mm-hmm. If the pumpkin spice beer turns out really well, making a pumpkin spiced 
I mean, the pumpkin spice mead turns out really mm-hmm. good. Making like a pumpkin spice braggot. Yeah. Pumpkin spiced um, An- something. Another small batch, pumpkin spiced bechamel. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, callback. Uh, I didn't think to bring this up in the bechamel episode, but it's, we're still sitting in the same sitting, so I'm going to bring it up anyway, even you though mean it's a the week later. Boche? Yes, the boche. Yeah, not not uh, not bechamel. Nope. Yep. Boche. Yeah. Thinking about cooking dinner tonight. Um, avocado honey mm. is supposedly very very good um, for certain things. It doesn't actually have a lot of that avocado flavor, right? But it is very oily and very buttery. Yeah. I've thought about getting some avocado honey and making a braggot with it and making a boche with it. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, haven't done that yet. Yeah, well, it's a little hard to get. It's not native around here. you got to get it shipped to you and stuff like that. So I, f- I found a place I can get some. It's very expensive. Yeah. So I just I want to like have, like, my process down before I do it. So I was thinking about getting, like, 10 gallons or 10 pounds and splitting it up between three different mm. uh, brews, like 2.5 gallons each, and do one that's like an avocado braggot. Uh, so it's like avocado, avocado, yeah, with like the uh, like wheats and stuff like that that you get mm. from like a beer, and then the honey for like an extra bit of sweetener. Like trying to do something like that, doing a boche, and doing like a. I'm not really sure, like a straight up mead, but I'm just not really sure how that would go because I don't know what the honey tastes like, so it's hard for me to say. Yeah, that be yeah. Methaglin or like maybe something a little sweeter, like a, a hydromel or um, you know, I just I don't know. So yeah, or I said hydromel, I meant a melomel, mm-hmm. so like a like a, a fruit wine. Yeah, totally down for doing that. Um, if you find some some that's like less than like a hundred and fifty dollars for 10 yeah pounds. i'll keep an eye out yeah let me know and we'll we'll scoop that up and then we can we can make like three two gallon tubs or three mm-hmm. one gallon tubs and like do some sort of like recipe stuff but it's just uh, like so expensive it is like, yeah i mean it was like a lot of money to get the five pounds of the buckwheat, buckwheat yeah but yeah. it wasn't it was like a third of the amount mm. that the, the other one is i mean, i don't for what i paid for the buckwheat for five pounds, I normally get like twelve pounds yeah. of other honeys, like wildflower and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's expensive. It's worth it to make like good product. I'm not saying that, but you know, you got to space it out. The wife, the wife satisfaction mm-hmm. factor, mm-hmm. especially since she doesn't normally like to drink these things. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna say most of these. I'm sure you're drinking alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about what. Well, so she does like to participate. She likes to make the labels. Mm-hmm. Um, even though like sometimes she gets annoyed because that, that like, it's like a thing that she loves doing when she gets into it. But, it, but when she, when I'm like, Hey, do you want to help me make a label? Cause you know, like I can make these on my own. Yeah. I'm trying to like involve her. She, she sits down and she goes, I'm just so busy, you know, like, you know, and then she's, you know, mm-hmm. so she does the same thing when we play D and D. Not, not that I'm complaining. I'm just saying like, you know that's a thing that happens it's like a psychological thing we all do it um let's talk about the pumpkin meat let's talk about the process we just made this today we did so when this episode comes out it'll be a week old um i imagine it's going to be going nuts i might even have to put a blow off tube on it you might yeah yeah because it's like 
I've thought about just opening that up and going ahead and putting a blow off too. Yeah. In all honesty, it might be a good idea. Yeah. Because it's really high on the sugar content because of how much volume all that like pumpkin mush takes up. And it's probably got just an amazing nutrients balance because it's got all that, you know, pumpkin mush in it. Um, So it's going to be a real healthy fermentation at a pretty decent temperature with a lot of sugar. Um, And it's not got the most aggressive yeast, but it's not got like a sleeper yeast either. Oh no. So yeah. Blow off tube might be a good idea. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, 71 B is pretty like at room temperature, pretty crazy. Like Mm -hmm. it goes, it goes nuts. It's, I, I I wouldn't say it's like Lutrikovike or Voskovike, which are both yeasts that at room temperature, just they're like, oh, I love this. You know, mm-hmm. this is the best. Uh, it probably could be a little bit happier at like a 65 or below 70. Um, so anything that's like 70 to 74 is probably going to give you like a couple of like weird esters or something like that. Because um, the fermentation inside the vessel, you know, as you know. Yeah, several degrees more, hotter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, we used, you know, 71B here. We used the Lutravos, uh, or the Voskovike. Use the Voskovike in the coffee mill that we're making. Both of them, though, are, like, really high in the ABV factor. They're, like, going to be, they're, one's going to be, like, 12. That's going to be the coffee mm. mill, I think. And the other one's going to be, like, 15. If it yeah. comes out the way that it is right now. Which I don't, it depends on how it tastes. I don't know if I'd rather have like less pumpkin mead and more uh, taste or less, you know, I don't know yet. So yeah. we're going to see how that turns out. But um, all in all, it uh, should end up being uh, a fairly crazy fermentation, I'm expecting. So putting it together wasn't that bad, though. Um, I Last year, I did a thing where I roasted. You, you didn't get to be part of yeah. this, but it was like an all-day thing. Yeah, you told me about it. Gallon. Yeah. Right. You roasted the the pumpkins. We did all the, like, you know, mashing it up and putting it in the thing. I could have probably used a blender. That was a lot of process. This was much easier. It took, like, mm. 30 minutes at the most to do. Yeah. Throw everything together. I'm kind of, if it ends up tasting as good as it smells, kind of want to do that from now on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, because... It ter- it ended up with with a really good mead, but it was definitely it was like eleven percent, twelve percent. I think I don't mm. remember exactly how much it was. Well, I could look back and see. Um, but yeah, so it was EC one one eight is what I used. It ended up yielding about one and a half gallons. It wasn't even quite two, um, and yeah, it was like thirteen. 13-ish, 12, 12 and a half, 13-ish percent uh, for the whole thing. And the, the it was a process. Like, Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. So if this ends up being better, th- there's definitely ingredients I added in this one that I didn't add in the other one because it was just more like some cinnamon and some other things. And I think I'm going to add like some clove and cinnamon in the secondary too to bring out some of those like mm-hmm. sweet flavors and everything in it. So we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. Let's talk about... My uh, newest obsession, uh, more personal CD players. Mm-hmm. I got a really old RCA. I was going to pit it against a Sony um, from the same era. These are like 90s era like CD players when the CD players like really 
became available for most people. Yeah. Like middle class and up could afford to get one. This is a personal CD player. It doesn't have anti-skip, so you really can't carry it around with you. Mm-hmm. But like if you had an office and you wanted to sit it down, you could totally do that. Um, and it is supposed to be one of the better RCAs. I, I don't know because I didn't have, like I've already said, this is from my childhood. And I, yeah, I yeah. lusted after these things, but I didn't have any. Um, so it is the RP7901A. That is a mouthful. I mean, RCA. Couldn't you call it something a little bit more sexy, like the Beast? You know? <laughs> yeah, give it a name. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, so RCA in the 90s was like, like now they're kind of not really considered to be like this great audiophile thing necessarily. Mm-hmm. They, they make some like good stuff. But in the 90s, they actually had like a line of stuff uh, went along with Magnavox, and some of these were sold in Japan. They're supposed to be like top of the line kind of stuff. Yeah. So, what did you think? You got to listen to it. I'm not going to tell you what I thought yet. Yeah, I mean, for the technology at the time, they were not bad. Um, I'm sure they were good, really, from the quality of the time. Nowadays, not not quite so much. The bass was very present in them, which was nice, especially oh, switching between I had, all. I had of turned them. the bass boost on, I think. Because I, I flipped one of the switches on the back. So you oh, that's might, okay. That, so it, it actually is not that bassy. It's more... Okay. Well, I mean, it's yeah. got bass boost as, as an option. So yeah. with the bass boost on, the bass was, was fairly yeah. present. Uh, more so than in, like, the Sonys, the ones we did last episode. But none of the quality was as clear. It had very present wine. Um, and, you know, that's, that's kind of what that was. And even though it was, like, out here on the deck with us, not moving... Still skipped once on me. Yeah. Um, you know, personal CD players at that point in time were, you know, they were just coming out. It was still new stuff. Most, like, higher level CD players were, like, these much bigger beasts that kind of sat in your house, almost like a record player did. You know? So, I, I get it. I'm sure they were great then. But even just, like, the 10-year difference between... This and what we were reviewing last episode is huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, there was like a huge jump in quality. Mm-hmm. One thing that I haven't tested yet as much as I'd like to is taking this and running it to a line out because this has mm-hmm. also got a line out, and I believe it's an optical one. So I got some Toslink cables. I'm going to connect it up to my Magni Modi setup, and then like at the end of the season, I want us to sit down and listen to just like a bunch of okay, CD yeah. players back to back. And just see, like, okay, blind taste test kind of deal. Like, I'll sit on the other side and, and, like, put the same CD between the three, like, move them around, and you guess which one's which. And okay. then I'll do the same thing. Okay. And my ears are, like, terrible because I've destroyed them. So um, it'll be interesting to see what I hear versus what you mm-hmm. hear. A young man with, you know, healthy ears. Um, I'll try to, like, give well, my ears the best We'll shot. see. I, I played in, in orchestras and symphonies for a long time. I know I've got some some certain ranges I can't hear that well anymore, um, just from being in the band. But, uh, yeah, that does sound like it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. We'll do we'll do to CD players what we did to wine. Mm-hmm. I also kind of want to do that with MP3 players. I've got okay. a bunch of different... Um, it would be an iPod roundup. Cause I, yeah. I, I don't know, like, MP3 players, like, I've looked at some of the old MP3 players, and I haven't quite jumped on the thing. I might get a Zune. If okay. If I get a Zune, then I would throw that in the bunch. Yeah, we had a Zune for a while. It was very nice. Yeah. 
But, I mean, I'm, like, all about the iPod. Yeah. You know, kind of well, like, that's one thing you got to give Apple. The iPods really were very good. Mm-hmm. They were. There was just um, nothing that compared to them as far as, like... Oh, yeah. They, they put a lot of money into that design and engineering and branding. And, you know, say what you will about them today, 20 years later. But, uh... Those iPods were good. Yeah, I, I think I think that this though this RCA in the right context is a really good CD player. I, but I agree, I've listened to this like five times. Mm-hmm. I've listened to maybe thirty or forty hours worth of music on the uh, eight eight uh, twenty eight thirty five. The yeah the eight twenty five yeah the eight twenty five, and the DCJ one I've listened to probably about half that much because I haven't had it for as long. Mm. But I, I generally listen to an album on this and an album on that because it's, it's so fascinating to hear the difference yeah. between the two. And I really don't hear the whine on the uh, the DCJ01. Mm. So it might it might be that I'm not as sensitive to that, or my ears have like lost that tune, you know, that that kind of yeah. ability to hear that, which is possible. I mean, I'm an old man now, um, so. <laughs> um, but I think that for the the time period and the fact that it's held up. For like thirty, yeah. The fact that years. that thing's thirty, yeah, you're thirty years old. It's sitting in your house and still playing. Yeah, yeah, it, and it, it plays just fine. Um, I'm I the two things that I want to do is one, I want to take like a Bluetooth. I got a so I got a switch. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, and sorry for the noise. Like it, of the last two episodes, you're gonna hear some like that is definitely the wind. <laughs> yeah. So we, since we did this outside today. But I, I want to take that switch and, like, set it up with the same exact copy of a CD. Mm-hmm. Like, get a bit perfect copy and just, like, play it on each one. And then get, like, an MP3 disc and an A-track disc and play it on one of the... Because I've got a couple of these MP3 players. Yeah. Like, you know, CD players. And just see, like, what's the difference. And, like, have it all through the shit Magni Modi set. With okay, the yeah, yeah. Out, you know, line switch. Sorry about bumping the mic. But, um... Yeah, so that I think that'd be fun. It'd be it'd be it'd definitely be like a fun thing. And then you get to turn the tables on me and do the same thing to me and like watch okay, yeah, yeah. through it. Um so let's talk about the dev courser. We oh. we have gone through the training pretty much at this point. So that if for anybody that doesn't know Oh, you mean the the yeah, dev core. Yeah. I was thinking encore for some reason. That's its own beast. Yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah. I will someday, but not not right, not now. right now. No, no. That the encore is like in the future. They're just kind of releasing that at this point. Oh, it's been out for um, a year or two. Yeah, it came out at the same time as, as the DevNet stuff, but it's basically the new CCMP. Right. Yeah. Um, but it. it, it uh, I'm sorry. Encore new CCMP. I've actually already gone through that because uh, that that was the last test that I took. Yeah, you did the um, the CCMP. The encore is now. And this is the, hopefully the same for the dev core. So this is how we can link it all back together. Yeah. But the professional level Cisco certs, their primary exam before you take the specialization is the written exam for the associated expertise. Yeah. So if you take the, you know, Encore dev core, it'll hit you up with that CCIE. Now we don't have a dev core CCIE yet, but hopefully we will someday. And hopefully it carries over because these things are difficult. Yeah, they are. They're super difficult. Um, yeah, so what has been your experience with preparing for the DevCore so far? Uh, uh, you know, here's the thing. I've prepared for both of them now. DevCore, I felt, was way easier 
than Encore. Um, it's still not easy. You know, there's a lot of information there. But if you're submersed in that world, you get exposed to most of it. There'll be some things that are new to you, especially as they've got a couple sections that are about very specific Cisco technologies. But overall, um, if you work in network automation or you work in development somewhere in that IT space, you're, you're at least passingly familiar with everything. And the dev core is really going in there and getting you those nitty gritty details. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the training though, where I felt like I, I, so I have some problems with all of the trainings we've been through for every single one of these, mm-hmm. because there's some things yeah. that, that, that I don't love about them. But I, I think that the training for the DevNet was really much better in a lot of ways than the DevCore. And the reason I say that is the DevCore is trying to, instead of just taking you out and saying, how much do you know factually about this thing? Mm-hmm. They're trying to make it more, how much do you think in a particular way that we want you to think about yeah. esoteric problems that we're giving you? It's much more conceptual. Yeah. I, I think that's the part that hits it. And this is really the core of any problem with any programming certification. Um, if you're not just giving someone an interpreter and asking them to make it a certain output, then you are judging the method of which they do something. Right. Which, that's really hard to judge. Um, especially as you're now in like this world where the networking stuff is there too, and you start presenting people problems of like, well, what could this be? Yep. Um, and there's a factual, like, this is the thing I guess that's most likely is, is hard. And we haven't taken the test yet, but I'm, I'm ramping up to do that in the next week or two. I'm worried the exam is going to be very much like that. Yep. And like, here are four things it could be, but which should you check first? And there's a lot of mentality around that. It's yep. going to become kind of like, what does Cisco expect you to do? Versus maybe what has your experience taught you? Yeah. Or what did your schooling teach you? Um, yeah. So we'll see. Hopefully it's not like that. Maybe it is. Um, or at least if they're going to do that, like, he, here's an issue that's happening. Here are four solutions. And maybe only one of those solutions would, like, actually help. That might be a better way to do it. Because then at least it's like, you know, not of all these valid answers, which is most right. Just like, do you know enough about this problem to know these other three things won't help? Yeah. Which of these things are more helpful or which of these things will come to an outcome that leads you to this versus something something else like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and, and we're going to continue to talk about this topic because network engineer is now also a developer. Like, you just can't get away from it. If you if you think you can become a network engineer and, like, get to a high level and not be a developer, that's just not the way it is right now. Maybe later yeah. in life, in 10 years, that'll be different, but... You have to be a developer at some at some level to be able to be a network engineer. You're like a net DevOps, Dev Net Ops developer, yeah. Dev Neloper. Yeah, well, as we've talked about a lot before, people are trying to double dip on skill sets without really understanding what that gets you. Yeah, and I think I think that's the hard part. And I see that with a lot of people that are on our team, our like larger team, our department, yeah. um, that are being asked to get these certifications. And, like, for some people, it, it makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, asking that person that comes in that is a developer, hey, go get your DevNet. That makes, yeah, that makes sense. sense. Hey, yeah, go right? get your CCNA. That's a little bit harder. 
But at a certain level, if you're automating networks, I get the ask of, hey, do you just understand the basics? Yeah. Because, you know, full disclaimer, I, I don't know what the new CCNA is like, but the old CCNA was pretty easy. You know, a couple months of study, and you, you were pretty good there, because it was all very high level. You, it wasn't, like, easy in the sense that just anybody could take it. Yeah. But... You could see you me could, over here like, I don't agree with that. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't... I should, put, I should put it like this. In terms of same level certifications, you say, like, an associate yeah. level, it is hard. Yeah. Uh, when you, know, you start looking at, like, the other associate stuff, like the A-pluses and stuff, it's much harder than that. Way harder. But when you start putting it in frame of specialized certifications... You start putting it up against, you know, some of the, like, Microsoft admin ones at the associate level. Or the, uh, I forget what the, the security company is. There's a really good, the, um, like, that does the CCISP and yeah. all that. They're associate ones. It's on those parts. So, they're well, still, that, it's those hard. Are the same people that do the A+. No. CompTIA. Yeah, no. do the CISSP. Pretty sure. I'll look it up real quick. So. Yeah, look that up for me. Yeah. If that's true, I'm, I'm crazy. Uh, and CISSP might not be the, the right abbreviation, but because um, CompTIA has its own security line. It's like the Security Plus. Yeah, they have the Security Plus and, and the, um, the CIS, the cybersecurity thing is like its own. Oh, yeah, but that's thing. not a cyber. Uh, well, I mean, it is a security. Yeah, one, it, it is. It, it's a security cert. Now we're all looking it up. Yep. Um, no, I'm, I'm wrong. Um, it looks like it is its own thing. International Information Security Certification. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, um, I thought I thought it was part of the CompTIA thing. I think that they do the test for it or something like that. Like you they they might there might be like some CompTIA. some connection there. Yeah. But uh, you know when you start taking talking those specialized ones that are kind of known for those are hard tracks. You know it's in line with that. Um, there's certainly I still I will still stand by that if you dedicate yourself to it, you can you can learn everything you need to know for the CCNA and about. Three, four months. So, having gone through two people that are normal people, not like me and you, mm. like learning the CCNA, they t it took them longer than that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's... The CCNA, especially like the last generation of CCNA before it just turned over, I can't mm -hmm. speak about the current generation. Yeah. If you are a, like, what would be considered kind of a normal person who is not completely immersed in networking and just coming into it, like maybe you tinker with computers or something. Mm. It can be like a year long process, six really? months to a year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll step back that back then. I know I got mine in a month and a half. Yeah. But um. But you're you know. you're also like super smart. You were already working in networking and technology, like pretty. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's true. I already had a um a really good exposure to networking. Yeah. And a background in a lot of other technologies. Right. So like a lot of things clicked very quickly. So, I, I think the correct statement about the CCNA is it is non-trivial, but it is achievable for the average person. Yeah, that'd be a good way to put it. Um, so you know, if you're in, if you're a developer that's going into networking, I still say I can see the CCNA. It's it give you some time to take it, but yeah. I can see you want to know what you're working on. But when they take these people who are network engineers and they say, "Okay, now go learn DevNet Associate." I just don't see it as much. I, I, I can, actually think that that's very achievable. It's almost as achievable as the CCNA. Oh, yeah, it's achievable. It's not. I don't think either one of those are necessarily harder than the other one. It's just that I guess in my mind, it, I don't see as much of a benefit. Because, as you've probably seen, working with a couple different developers, yep. 
the extent to which you are specialized in developing really changes the sort of projects you can work on without assistance. Yeah. So like, we've got a coworker that I think he, he Thomas has been on the podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we had him on here. Awesome. Great guy. I, I've taught him for years, and he's a really good network engineer, and he's got a lot of developer skills. Yeah, he's a. I, but, I would say he's a more than adequate developer at this point. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it makes sense for him to get the CCNA. But to grab some other network engineer and say, hey, go take this associate. You're Thomas now. It doesn't work that way. I, you I, need those years of exposure on projects. I think, though, to get the same level of competence in development that you do in networking, it's easier to transition some of those skills from, like, a network engineer, a person who, like, already is engrossed in the technology and then it takes someone mm-hmm. who just... They don't know anything about the technology, but they know a lot about like the bits and bobs of how like a language works. So it's kind of like taking someone that knows how English works and can read a manual and things like that, and then put them into becoming a fairly competent mechanic. I mean, yeah, they can change their oil, and they know a lot about like other things, but they mm. don't know the car, even if they're a technical writer, you know, for, for like how cars. Yeah. Well, I think, I think there's a different way to look at it. Right. Like I think the world sees a programmer as a programmer as a programmer Mm -hmm. and the different specializations within it, the different levels that, that people operate in and not like levels as like associate expert, but just like levels of a sack. Yeah. Like where, where in the development process do they sit? Um, People don't understand that. Certainly, I mean, certainly general people don't. I think even a lot of people that find themselves in management positions at companies that aren't development companies don't really understand that. Because that network engineer with, you know, a DevNet or whatever is working at a very low level. They're, they're talking about automating that device. Because they're taking that, you know, in your example, mechanic experience, yep. and find, how can I make this a little bit more efficient with development? Yeah, Whereas getting, that they're getting like really into the depths of the device. Yeah. Right? Whereas like the developer, they're working on like dashboards and front ends and like databases and stuff like that. And it doesn't really translate. You can't say, Hey, I'm going to take this network engineer that has their CCNA and give them a dev core and then take this developer and make them get a CCNA. And now they're the same person. They're not, they're not, they're, they're, they're not still have yeah. very different levels of what they work on. That developer is not going to want to work cases. That developer is not going to want to get really deep low level to a specific device because they are really there to make much larger software suites. They're there to make tools. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I totally I totally agree yeah. with that. But I think that you lose something in the mindset of, of that. And we've talked about it before, mm-hmm. so I'm not, I'm not going to go into it super deep. But I, I am going to say, like, I think it's safe to say I am a – I am – very high in the understanding of how home networks work mm-hmm. and how like corporate networks work. Yep. Like I am a yep. expert in both of those things at this point in my career. Um, and I have learned how a developer like looks at those things now because mm-hmm. I've been taking like some stacks and experimenting with being able to like do like um, load balancing, which mm-hmm. is a different concept than what, load balancing is for me yeah this uses the same term or proxy or like a reverse proxy or something like that which reverse proxy is the closest meaning Mm. between the two terms but 
it's almost like a person who doesn't understand the technology has tried to create something to solve a problem that already is already solved and in a yeah. much simpler way to fix this problem. Now, some of them are not like uh, reverse proxy. There's actually been some improvements that have happened with that. Mm. Um, but it's still like you, the way a developer solves that and the way like a network engineer solves that are like not, it's like two magnets that are not quite polarized, yep. like touching together. And network engineers are expected to like kind of forget that they know all these like really cool, great ways to be able to solve these problems and make things work like awesome. Um, and just kind of go down the developer route because that's the, the thing that they've been taught. And the network engineers kind of looks at that and goes, oh, that's kind of stupid. I mean, like I can just type one line of code or one line of configuration. Yeah. And that works. And it just works. Yeah. You know, we got, we have DMVPN. I can just like do this and suddenly I have a whole network behind a, a, a private IP and I'm not exposing anything I don't need to. But developers don't, they're like, oh, but that's complicated, but it's not. But they don't understand it. That's why it's complicated. Yeah. Well, it's, again, it's, it's being pushed into job roles that don't fit with what they right. should be doing. Yeah, exactly. You know, like we've got a data team and they're a great data team. And they build all these dashboards and do all these great things. It's like pure developer focus, which is wonderful. They're rock stars at it. They're doing a great job. But to take those people and say, oh, but hey, why don't you get a CCNA and now you're Ricky? Yeah. Or now you're Thomas. That it's not going to work that now way. Now you're Joe. You know, Joe, you're, you're certified to a higher level, but yeah, still. But, but still, like there is some the, expectation that that like, you know the network now. Yeah, yeah. you know. I, I still now. remember when they kept saying all the developers were start doing cases, and that never came anywhere. Uh, I know several developers who still refuse to touch cases oh, yeah, because they won't, they won't touch well, case. it doesn't make sense to them or be on call or yeah. do any of that stuff. Well, in all honesty, for like what they what they've spent their whole life preparing for. It doesn't make sense. They're trying to, just like they're taking network engineers and they're trying to force them into the developer role. They're taking developers, trying trying to force force them into into network network engineers. engineers. And you're going to get resistance on both fronts because those careers are specialized and separate. I think, but I also think that there's a little bit less of a resistance from a network engineer standpoint than there is from a developer standpoint. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because here's the thing to be a network engineer and have enough development skills to enhance your current specialization with network engineering. That's a much lower bar than I'm a developer and I need to learn enough networking to be a competent network engineer. Yep. That, that is that is exactly it. And, and I've been saying that for a while. right? Mm. Uh, and I know that we've disagreed on that kind of point at some points in time. But... Well, it, it's to the, the end, right? Like yeah. Thomas, love Thomas. He's not going to build some, you know, Oracle stacked database tool with a nice shiny front end that does all this stuff. He's not going to do that. Nope. He doesn't have any of those skills. Uh, that's what developers should be doing. And but when they take the developer and say, "Hey, you're going to do cases," they're expecting them to have as much network knowledge as me or Thomas or you, yep. and well, that's what beats them up. So, but I think that Thomas could be at that same sort of level if he continues to grow both skill sets in like five or six years. Yeah, it takes him less time, you know, to get there. But yeah, it's it, it's mm-hmm. it's a thing. Um, yeah, we've talked about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Anyways, from the DevCore perspective, though. I, I'm worried about the DevCore search. Where I, I would say anybody that wants to get the DevNet should to- totally yeah. go and get it. It is achievable. It's not trivial. It is hard. You have to learn some things, but it will. You will learn so much. The DevCore, you will learn a lot. I'm not sure how the. Te- I'm worried yeah. about the test. We'll have to see what that exam looks like. Yeah. I can't say that you should go get that 
So we'll we'll be repeating this conversation at some point in time mm-hmm. uh, about that. But I think we're at the end of the episode at this point. So uh, we're at about ten minutes over what I was trying to go for for the episode. That's all right. <laughs> um, but um, anyways, thanks so much for listening. This has been season four, episode fifteen, the Beer and Broadband Podcast. We do have a Patreon and a Twitter. We would love, like, love absolute Halloween scary sounds love you to come and uh, be part of that community so that we understand what's going on there. But now it's time for D&D, and so we got to shut this down. So thanks so much, and we'll talk to you later.